0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome to this Monday morning edition of Scorebox. These are your headlines. Anti-government protests spreading across Iran. Demanding leaders step down after Tehran admits... It mistakenly shot down a Ukraine International Airlines flight, killing all 176 people on board. Stocks across Asia scaling 19-month highs as the US and China prepare to sign the uh, phase one trade deal. But Wall Street closes in the red on a weaker-than-expected jobs print and rising geopolitical fears.
1: Taiwan votes to re-elect President Tsai Ing-wen in a landslide victory, sending a strong message to Beijing about its attempts to gain control of the island's democratic government. And France offers unions a major concession in an effort to quell strikes over pension reforms, proposing to scrap a plan to raise the retirement age to 64 from 62.
0: Plus we've got German uh, conglomerate ThyssenKrupp reportedly seeking to offload its industrials unit and also may be eyeing a tie up with smaller rival Salzgitter as it looks to raise cash after a series of profits warnings. So welcome to the show. Uh, Let's get to our top story. The most senior commander of Iran's Revolutionary Guard was called to a closed session of parliament after Tehran admitted that it mistakenly shot down a Ukraine International Airlines passenger plane. There were no immediate details of the questions asked to the official. Iran blamed its air defense system for the crash, which killed 176 people. The announcement has sparked protests across Iran. Demonstrators called for the resignation of senior politicians, saying they tried to cover up involvement in the crash. Tehran had initially denied wrongdoing in the incident. But Dan, who joins us in Abu Dhabi, Dan, this is more nuanced than perhaps that read I just read to you, because, of course, um, there were not only demonstrations against the leadership, there were also demonstrations in favour of the leadership against Israel, against the United States, and of course, against the United Kingdom, which has been involved in an ambassadorial fracas uh, over the weekend as well. So it's a little bit more nuanced than to say that people are on the streets purely against the leadership, isn't it? That's exactly right, Steve. And it's important to
2: digest all of this with a grain of salt. What we hear coming from Western media is very different to what we hear coming from Iranian state media as well. And clearly there are opposing narratives here. But what we do see is real turbulence in Iran now Protesters taking to the streets in their thousands to essentially push back against the Iranian leadership. Angry over the downing of this Ukrainian jet, we've seen security forces firing upon protesters who basically took to the streets outraged over this accidental downing of this jet which crashed last week of course killing all 176 civilians on board. The Iranian leadership at this point denied any responsibility for three days after the crash. Instead essentially they insisted that this plane had gone down for mechanical reasons but there was huge uproar locally, huge uproar internationally and those accusations forced the Iranians to admit that they did kill those civilians citing essentially human error. Uh, President Rouhani saying that this was a disastrous mistake. We have seen the Iranian leadership being very vocal here, attempting to claw back some of those accusations and also accept responsibility for this. However, the Iranians also very much working here to level the blame towards the United States, of course, pushing back on Washington and also blaming the US for those protests as well. Uh, We've seen reaction from the US President Donald Trump this morning. He says to the leaders of Iran, do not kill your protesters. He tweets, thousands have already been killed or imprisoned by you and the world is watching. More importantly, he says, the United States is watching. Turn your internet back on and let reporters roam free. Stop the killing of your great Iranian people. Uh, CNBC has also been canvassing reaction across the region to this as well. Just yesterday, we had the opportunity to speak with the former US National Security Advisor, General Jim Jones, he says it's very clear that the Iranian leadership now is being pressured internationally, being pressured domestically, and the situation is moving fast. Listen in.
3: I think it's clear that um, the regime in Iran's had a very bad uh, couple of weeks, um, and one of the things that people don't talk about too much is the degree of unrest that there is in the country, which I think is significant. So you couple the, uh, and the even
1: more protests. Over
3: exactly so you take the uh, removal of Suleimani you take the accidental downing of the of the civilian aircraft coupled with the amount of popular unrest um, the, the needle towards possible collapse of a regime it has to be something that people think about
2: General Jim Jones speaking to Hadley Gamble at the Atlantic Council Summit, which happened across the weekend here in Abu Dhabi. I think more broadly, though, this all comes back to the idea that the U.S.'s maximum pressure campaign against Iran is not necessarily a cost-free strategy. Already, the region is in flux. Now the question is, are we going to see a continued pushback from the Iranians, not just towards the United States, but towards the region as well? Uh, what we have seen is reprisal attacks in the past from the Iranians, hitting out at tankers in the Strait of Hormuz, downing that U.S. drone, uh, also attacking uh, the uh, Iraqi uh, sites, in uh, the U- housing U.S. Uh, officials in Iraq. Uh, so clearly uh, the situation very fluid at the moment. In terms of the overall asset market reaction that we have seen, though, I know you'll be talking about this later, but a pulse check on oil prices for you not so much of a geopolitical risk premium being built into the price of oil right now uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Soleimani attack we saw brent crude back above that 71 usd handle it's pulled all the way back now uh, the question is of course what happens next and there's a lot filtering into the price but uh, the situation's still pretty fluid out here in the middle east at the moment guys
0: all right thank you very much indeed for that dan meanwhile the leaders of britain Germany and France urged Iran to fully comply with the 2015 nuclear deal. Don't forget, this is a deal that U.S. has walked away from. Now, in a statement, they also called on Tehran uh, to further refrain from violent action and work to maintain stability in the Middle East. OK, Karen, let's um, segue, if we can, uh, from energy, the Middle East, uh, to uh, China. And one of the key strains and consistent strains of narratives we saw throughout 2019 was, quite frankly, the dismal projections uh, for car consumption, growth, vehicle purchases. Uh, All the companies who said it was going to be a bonanza for them, they failed ignominiously to get it right last year. That's a fact. Um, Last year, vehicle sales, according to China, well, who are out with their December figures today, down 8.2% versus down 2.8% in 2018. The only thing I will say (coughs) about these Chinese vehicle sales is that the declining trend of sales appears to be abating somewhat, i.e. the December number itself was only down 0.1% of 1% year-on-year versus the previous month of 3.6%. And as I say, compared with the annual figure, north of 8%. So yes, Chinese vehicle sales were abysmal uh, for the industry, Compared to their expectations in 2019. And yet the December figure is nearly at the parity level. So this might raise a lot of those subsector questions. And I haven't seen the subsector data uh, about whether New Wave. EV hybrid is actually picking up the slack uh, from those internal combustion engines. I think it's curious engines.
1: because looking at that figure, the new NG vehicle sales declined four percent on year for 2019 mm. for, for China. I think that's fascinating at a time when Tesla maneuvers into the Chinese market. You may recall just at last week those photos of Elon Musk doing a jig as he delivered vehicles Dude, into China. Doing pretty with models. awful Steve
0: Ballmer-like dance. <laughs> exactly. All
1: yes. uh, to alter, hail the arrival of the Model 3 sedans in China, and obviously when you go from from nothing to stronger production, there is an uptick for a company. But if there is a, a broader decline that's been taking place in new vehicles, can Tesla shake up the sector, bring some fresh life, or is it a trend that even a Tesla with its exciting new models can't buy? So
0: as you know, I'm as I'm ex- excited as everyone else about the brave new world. But the brave new world is on hold until we get the right product mm. with honest mileage at the right price. And it was a very interesting piece in the... Is that
1: Tesla? Is that the uh, right product at well, the right price? Uh,
0: well, uh, if I can add a, a, another dimension with the right regulatory environment. Because as we know, whether it's turbines, whether it's solar, whatever, in order to get people to change, you have to offer them something in their pocket as much as anything else. There are only a certain number of people who feel environmental responsibility. People want to see the money, as the great Cubber Gooding Jr., uh, Jr. once said as well. So the point is, exactly, Director, yes, show me the money. So the point being, an article in the Times today talking about UK EV sales, which have also stalled, if there was something radical like taking VAT off, taking the tax off. That would certainly spark a little bit of interest. I immediately, overnight, they become 20% cheaper as well. And I wonder what the incentivization schemes are in China, let alone elsewhere in the and world.
1: I take your point, and there's been a rollback in some of those incentives, but the different part has been the arrival of new insurance uh, Tesla, but not just them. you have also got BMW, Mercedes bringing new product to market. Huge, so I wonder would that invigorate the interest. Well, and that's been the holdout, hasn't it? Because people want to see that the main car makers are coming to market with some incredible new models. And I wonder whether that just inspires the change because you suddenly got momentum yeah. with all look, the major players look, look, getting look, involved. let's
0: be totally honest about this. The European consumer was sold an almighty pup. It was a St Bernard of a pup that it was sold because it was sold clean diesel. And it wasn't sold clean diesel 20, 30 years ago. It was sold clean diesel within the last decade as well. That turned out to be a myth right. that was sold to us from an industry which was ignoring some of its own data, perhaps in some cases doctoring some of its own data. So for the consumer to fall for brand new technology, they need incentivization.
1: I just saw a stat you might be interested in, because when we talk about EVs, you're thinking what we get to majority of EVs in China over the next decade, maybe? Would well, you think that?
0: I don't know, but I know their bus fleet is extraordinary. They have right. got more EV buses than Europe times well, a, a great multiple. Here's
1: an expectation, which might put it in context. Morningstar expects electric vehicles to be 35% of auto sales in China by 2030. So not the majority still.
0: Yeah.
1: So does it tell you about how but slow the momentum thing, I mean, change is going to be? a good thing
0: or a bad thing, and everyone's got their views, and I'm not going there, uh, the fact that it's a command economy mm. certainly can actually create a bit of a push uh, for incentivization, dare I say, and demand if indeed the command economy, the authoritarian state, does decide to go for it.
1: That's true. Build the infrastructure. Let me take you to some of the market action we saw Friday's session as we get you up to speed on just how it's perched at the start of this week. A bit of a reversal taking place for these major markets, the Dow, the S&P and Nasdaq. That said, all hitting fresh all time highs earlier in the session. So, some intraday peaks again clocked up for the markets. Big features, technology very much in play over the course of last week, a real standout sector. As investors again stretched for growth, That was the area of the market where they felt most comfortable. And just a reminder, in case you Keisha, forgot it all over the weekend, we had a lot of geopolitics over the course of last week, heightened tensions at the start of the week about a full blown conflict potentially with the Middle East, but then rowing back by the end of the week. So, sentiment started to improve. That that said, we still closed out in the red, as you can see, and small caps in particular underperformed the market. This is a typical risk on play for a lot of investors, and we saw right over the course of the week investors not willing to touch that part of the market. When it came to Friday session two, one of the big drivers of the non-fund payrolls report. It was non-fund payrolls Friday, and all the expectations around what we could see from what is a key data point for the Fed. We saw 145,000 jobs created, not the 160,000 anticipated, Average hourly uh, earnings also not getting to the number expected, 2.9% versus 3.1%. So some disappointment there, although those who are still bullish on this market I believe it's a, a positive sign if you're looking at what we could see in terms of uh, the, the Fed policy. It allows for a lot of accommodations still are remaining on hold at this level. I want to take you to what we're seeing on WTI. Uh, the geopolitics certainly unlocked some much higher ranges for WTI and Brent over the course of last week. 70, for instance, was what we had on uh, Brent WTI also pulling back from the 60 levels, 60 plus levels that we witnessed in trade, what we had, the lowest settlement on Friday, nearly a month, the worst weekly performance as we wrapped up since July 2019. So the highs we had translated to some lows, and that meant we saw some sogginess in the trade and even correction territory over the course of last week. In terms of the Asian markets, so we've been closely tracking the election in Taiwan. We've got Japan out of action today and a lot of focus too on the Chinese markets that have had a fairly heady run since we've started out this year. Uh, this morning... Modestly firmer, about a third of a percent, a little bit more on the Shenzhen market. Hong Kong trades up by nine tenths of a percent, a fairly decent clip. And going with it, the South Korean market rolling about one percent. A quick look at uh, how the dollar trades this morning. We did see a little bit of risk off uh, last week that impacted the trade, and dollar yen had its moment as so you saw yen escalating. But uh, we saw a little bit of give back to that trade. What a nine level we got to! I'm not going to show you the wall just yet, but if you think about fortunes uh, for the dollar, very important too as we take a look at these emerging markets, Steve. But this week, I mentioned yet? Phase one of a trade deal. Let's talk oh, about that how exciting. on Wednesday.
0: I can barely wait for the uptick on the market yet again on the back of the same story. Uh, coming up on the show, it's time to sign. We look ahead, as Karen said, to the first trade truce milestone. Feels like it's been for a while, doesn't it? As negotiators already start laying out the next steps.
1: And a reminder: if you can't get enough of Squawkbox, Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast to have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, we'll be right back. Stick around.
0: If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out The Brave Ones podcast.
1: U.S. job growth slowed by more than expected in December. Non-farm payrolls increased by 145,000, falling short of the 160,000 estimated by Dow Jones. The unemployment rate also held steady at 3.5%, while average hourly earnings grew by 0.1%, missing expectations.
0: Uh, the U.S. and China agree to restart semi-annual talks uh agreed, I believe, uh, that were previously abandoned when the U.S.-China trade conflict escalated at the start of Trump's administration. The talks which originated under President George W. Bush are a forum for strategic economic dialogue between the two major powers. These sessions will likely be led by U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Chinese Vice Premier Li He. Meanwhile, Mnuchin has denied that China's commitments in the phase one deal were changed during the translation process, calling it nothing more than a, quote, technical issue. Well, let's get to Vasilios Giannakis, head of FX strategy at Lombard Odier. Never has a technical issue himself. Look, although the data on Friday, good morning to you, uh, was mildly disappointing. We still have a 12-month rolling average of 176,000 jobs created per month. We have a three-month trend of 184,000. These are still jolly good figures, aren't they, Vasilios? Good morning, my friend.
3: Good morning to you, too. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's absolutely spot on. Uh, The the U.S. economy is still doing well, but I think what's going to be important uh, as far as the market is concerned going forward is going to be the derivative of this. Uh, Let's not forget, we're coming out of a period of a huge uh, fiscal stimulus in the U.S., and Clearly, there are some signs, especially if you look at the manufacturing, which has also been hit uh, by the trade tariffs, uh, you're seeing a slowdown in in the manufacturing and you're seeing the fading uh, uh, fiscal impulses uh, from um, uh, 2018 onwards. So uh, although the US economy is very unlikely to hit a recession uh, anytime soon, I think it's becoming increasingly likely that it's slowing down from the very high growth rates that we experienced during uh, uh, 2018 and the beginning of uh, 2019. I think that's going to be quite important for markets. and I think it's equally going to be very important for the dollar.
1: Vasilia, so let's get into risk on appetite then this week because uh, with the amount of liquidity now still in the system from the Fed, the data we've had and what that suggests for future interest rate policy, along with the signals on trade as we look to close out a fairly uh, fraught chapter on the trade front between the US and China this week, where does it leave the dollar in this risk appetite world?
3: Look, I think to... uh, to to start contemplating what's going to happen to the dollar is first we we need to try and understand what actually kept the dollar strong uh, uh, in late 2018 and the beginning of uh, 2019. Now that's, uh, I think it's pretty clear by now uh, that basically what had happened is that there was the confluence of US exceptionalism, a lot to do with the US fiscal stimulus plus plus the trade uncertainty that's inflicted um, a lot of uncertainty in the global arena and global growth and global trade. And basically you have that fly to safety, um, and the dollar rose and uh, stayed quite resilient. The the issue right now is that you see some sort of a decoupling with interest rate differentials because the rest of the world interest rates have either stabilized or have gone down a little, but in the US they have actually gone down uh, quite substantially relative to, um, uh, say, uh, 12, uh, 18 months ago, which means that the dollar is somewhat overvalued. And the question is now, can the dollar sustain that overvaluation? And our response to this is that now that the trade uncertainty starts fading, although it will not disappear, that that part of the overvaluation is going to start disappearing, meaning that the dollar is going to come under some pressure. And indeed, we've started seeing that since uh, uh, early September, the dollar has uh, come off by approximately two and a half to three percent.
0: I don't understand that, Vasilios. I don't understand how. If the U.S. economy is about to get even more stimulus and have a greater foundation for growth going forward, growth, I hasten to add, which has been an outperformer compared with most Western economies anyway, why would everyone suddenly say, oh, things are great for the U.S. economy. Let's sell the dollar.
3: Right. Okay. I'm not entirely sure that that's exactly right, Steve, or that's uh, pretty much what I said. Uh, I think the U.S. economy is doing well, but it's definitely not doing as well as it was doing uh, about a year ago. Uh, So therefore, the derivative for US growth is going to be negative, meaning that this slowdown, especially in manufacturing that we're seeing, is going to persist. And on top of that, you're going to have the fiscal stimulus impulses from uh, 2018 having pretty much faded. At the same time, the rest of the world, although it's not going to accelerate and potentially we're still going to be in a slow growth uh, world, we're going to have the tail risk being removed gradually as the trade uncertainty are being um, uh, uh, reduced. Now, of course, there is a big risk here. There is a risk here uh, that uh, there is going to be a re-escalation in the uh, US-China trade negotiations. And in that respect, if that happens, you could start seeing demand and appetite for the dollar rising. Uh, but again, you know, in our central scenario, where you're starting to see some fading out of these uncertainties and global trade growth picking up modestly, um, uh, then um, uh, the dollar is going to come, is going to remain under some pressure. Because again, the dollar has come under pressure since uh, early September of last year.
1: Vasily's worth the dollar is holding up this morning is to the pound. I want to get into that trade as we have yes. seen another decline, uh, still holding 130 <laughs> at this stage. But uh, another uh, message from the Bank of England, uh, this time from one policymaker who said he will vote. For a cut in interest rates later this month, barring an imminent and significant improvement in the growth data, suggesting that he is worried about the, the pace or the trajectory of growth at this stage. What do you make of the messaging now from the central bank here and that impact that uh, policy making could have on the pound trade?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, spot on, Karen. I think it's uh, it's it's going to be uh, one of the most uh, uh, important things for markets going forward. I think it's it's quite clear that the voices uh, that uh, are want to see monetary policy easing by the Bank of England are definitely increasing. Uh, And you have um, uh, a lot of external MPC members suggesting, hinting that they're more likely to vote for a cut as opposed to um, uh, staying on hold. This implies that we'll be heading, we're actually heading into the 30th January meeting where Pretty much not a lot is really priced in for the next two, three uh, months or so with an increased probability now or with a probability that's rising, actually, that you're going to have a number of um, MPC members that are going to vote for easier monetary policy. And I think this is going to induce a relatively uh, bearish uh, spin into sterling. Uh, having said that, uh, I don't think that uh, we're going to see cable below 128 or uh, even if we do, it's not going to sustain quite a lot. Uh, at the same time, you have a number of uh, some uh, relatively positive factors. You have the withdrawal agreement in place, uh, which, of course, by itself is not a uh, uh, is not a great thing. But at least it gives some sort of reassurance and certainty to the market that uh, the current government is moving uh, towards uh, trying at least to get uh, uh, as much uh, to, to reduce uncertainty as possible. Plus, you have the expectation Vasilis. of uh, the fact that um, uh, you're going to get a fiscal stimulus, some sort of a fiscal stimulus in the UK. Uh,
0: I, I love chatting to you, Vasilis. You know that. And you're normally so forthright. But when I see you saying things like "moderately uh, modestly constructive against the wall of worry for emerging, I don't know if your heart's behind your emerging market call, is it?
3: No, 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 it is. As a matter of fact, we, we think it, it is going to be a good uh, trade. Uh, look, look at last week. I think last week, Steve, was a very, very interesting week. Last week, we saw the dollar rise um, against uh, every G10 currency modestly by between 02 0.4%. Nonetheless, emerging market currencies held up very, very well um and and i think what's been happening emerging markets have been hammered uh since the beginning of uh, 2018 and that actually implies that there are still a lot of pockets of good valuation of attractive valuation and let's not forget we're still living in a in a in a almost zero interest rate world so the the concept of carry is still going to be in the mind of investors so as long as global trade growth picks up a bit, it doesn't have to go through the roof. I still think we're going to see flows in select emerging uh, markets and therefore this is going to underpin EM currency. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving
0: news, you can head to CNBC.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.